We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 6. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and go there. As basically, it's a warning. It is a warning to planet Earth. And so I thought of this crazy title, Global Warming or Global Warning. And part of the reason I thought of that is because during the book of Jeremiah and the ministry of Jeremiah, you had a lot of prophets that were um, saying, ah, it's no big deal, peace, uh, peace. Um, they were trying to, you know, like people were kind of thinking, hey, maybe we are going to be judged. You know, maybe we do, you know, deserve judgment. And then you got think about it. So they go to the pastor, they go to the prophet, they go to the priest, and they'd be like, oh, relax, relax. Those guys are just exaggerators. That It's not really coming. And they were kind of like warming the people, um, but they should have been warning the people. And so today, um, when it comes to global warming, of course, we know that's a big focus. I don't know if you guys knew this. The Biden administration allocated $174 billion of their infrastructure package to make sure you know, that all vehicles uh, were electric by a certain day. Um, we know that in 2021, the uh, Biden administration issued an executive order and they you know, mandated that all their government vehicles, uh, 380,000 federal vehicles, would be replaced, uh, no longer uh, polluting, but offering you know, this uh, electric, uh, safe environment type of thing. And so the only reason I bring that up, I don't want to get into global warming, to, honest, to be honest with you, but to me, I was thinking like, wow, how, how radical... The world is changing. As a matter of fact, they, they, a new study by the University of California, Berkeley, found that all new vehicles sh could be electric by the year 2035. And so that's a radical change in a short period of time. And, and, and when you look at that, you're like, wow, things can change on a large scale. So, so that's what's happening with global warming but for me, I'm like, Lord, as a, as a pastor, as a Christian, I'm more concerned with, with the global warning when it comes to the spiritual things. You know, for me, um, there's warnings for me. I, I need to change because if not, God's going to discipline me. Maybe you're out there and you know, and if you're honest, I think, I think all of us have areas that we should change, areas that need to, we need to grow in and if not, God's going to some way, somehow discipline us. And so hopefully we're sensitive to that as individuals. Hopefully we're sensitive to that as a church. Um, but hopefully we're sensitive to that as a nation. And hopefully we're sensitive to that as, as a world. If you're living in sin and God, the Holy Spirit is telling you to, to stop and you keep living in sin, I promise you, God will discipline you. That, that's what this chapter talks about, because a lot of times I think we you know, misunderstand how God is. No, he's a God who, who does judge. And in this case, in Je Jeremiah chapter 6, he's going to be judging the southern kingdom of the nation of Israel. And so um, look what we read here in Jeremiah 6, beginning in verse 1. He says, run for your lives, you people of Benjamin. Get out of Jerusalem. Sound the alarm in Tekoa. Now that was a town in the hill country of Judah. This is are all close in proximity. Sound the alarm. Send up a signal at, at Beth Hakarim. Any of you guys ever seen any of those movies where they light a fire? You know, uh, basically this was a, a city that had a, a nice vantage point. And so when if judgment was coming, they'd light a fire 
And then, you know, we on down yonder on the other mountain over there, they light a fire. And then we on yonder, they, they light a fire. It was a way of communicating something that was taking place. In this case, what Jeremiah is saying is, blow the trumpet, light the fires. In verse 17, he's going to say, the watchmen, hey, let's warn the people. And that's why he says there in verse 1, run for your lives. Run for your lives. You know, this powerful army is coming from the north. And of course, we know this is the Babylonians. Now, if you look at a map, they're located on the east, but the way that the travel routes were and the way that the invasion would take place, it would come from the north. And so they would be coming with disaster. Uh, Verse 2, it says, O Jerusalem, you are my beautiful and delicate daughter. Check this out. But I will destroy you. That's crazy. You know, when you when you look at this, um, I don't think the word destroy is probably the best word, to be honest, because God didn't, you know, end their existence. But he did discipline them severely, even though they were his precious people. Look, look again at verse 2b. Enemies will surround you like shepherds camped around the city. Each chooses a place for his troops to devour. And so Jeremiah tells the people to to run, um, to get out of Jerusalem. Now, we don't know for sure, like basically, if you look at a map, you see Bethlehem a few miles, I mean, uh, um, Benjamin a few miles away. Um, Jeremiah was from a city there in Anathoth. And so maybe he's telling him, hey, whatever you do, don't go to Jerusalem. Run, run away. All I know is that he's warning them and telling them to run. And and the Lord might be saying that to you too, you know, tonight. You know, I don't know what needs to change. Uh, this morning I, I got up, I, I, I was walking down the hall, I looked at my wife and I say, hey, babe, I'm going to the gym. And then she tells me, oh, I'll go with you. And so I said, oh, great, let me change. And so I went and I changed. And I was like, man, I wish it was that easy just to change. <laughs> but it's not that easy, huh? You know, a lot of us, you've been doing the same old thing for a long time, and you think it's okay, that God's cool with it, that he ain't going to do anything. But you want to know how long Jeremiah warned the people? Forty years. For 40 years. And the Babylonians came for the first time in 605 B.C., but they still didn't get it. So the Babylonians came back again in 597 B.C., but they still didn't get it. Until finally God said, okay, third time, 586 B.C., and he wiped them out. See, God wants us to be holy. And so if the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on, hey, maybe you shouldn't watch that movie with nudity and 474 F-bombs in it. Now, if you got the freedom to do that, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. But I can just imagine, you know, the Holy Spirit sitting there, Jesus sitting there and looking at stuff like that. All I know is that we are holy, and so here, looking at this, God's warning them, run, run, because the judgment is coming. In, in verse 4, we see that the enemy is eager to attack. It says, they shout, prepare for battle, attack at noon. No, it's too late. The day is fading and the evening shadows are fa- falling. Well then, let's attack at night and destroy her palaces. And so, Basically, plan A was, we'll go, we'll attack at noontime. And so they're on their way, they're marching. 
Most commentators believe that, you know, pretty much every country they would do this. They would do their ceremonial sacrifices and religious stuff. And then, you know, by that time, by the time they're done, you know, it's, past, it's way past 12 noon. The sun is already setting. So most armies would not invade at the night. But these guys were so eager to do it that they just said, you know, we're going in. That, that's what we read right here. And they went in and they attacked at night. And then to make matters worse, not just that they're eager to enter, but, but notice who offers strategic maneuvers to the Babylonian army in verse 6. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Cut down the trees for battering rams. Build siege ramps against the walls of Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished, for she is wicked through and through. She spouts evil like a fountain. Her streets echo, 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 echo. You guys know what an echo is, right? With sounds of violence. That means waves of violence over and over again. Destruction. I always see her sickness and sores. He says, listen to this warning, Jerusalem, or I will turn from you in disgust. Listen, or I will turn you into a heap of ruins, a land where no one lives. I mean, not, it's not just Babylon. That's bad enough. But now you've got the Lord giving them counsel. The Lord is saying, hey, you know, General so-and-so, go chop down that tree, use it as a battering ram, build siege walls. They would take these big walls. They would use a lot of it would be the, the earth, and then they, boom, they did ramps, Right? And then they would bring their battering rams and they would come against the walls of the city. God is the one now who is giving them counsel. God was guiding the Babylonians. And it's just crazy because the Babylonians are pagans. And now Jerusalem, they're believers in the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is this happening? Well, he says why there. It's because of the, you know, verse 7, that, that, that Jerusalem is wicked through and through. Other versions say it was the oppression, the oppression. That, that means to keep someone in subservience and hardship. It was the unjust exercise of authority. It speaks of the tyranny of the leaders in Jerusalem. And so all that is taking place in the city of God. I mean, this word destruction right here could also speak of the way the soldiers would rob and ravage the women. And so... When you look at this, right here, God says, I see the sickness, I see the sores. That could be the people who are oppressed. It could be the spiritual condition of the people. All I know is it was not good. And, and, and the thing about this is this, that it's not set in stone yet. Even though we know it did happen, because we have 20-20 hindsight, what God is saying is, I see it there, but I'm still giving you an opportunity to change. I'm still giving you an opportunity to be able to come and avoid this. You know, I, I know you guys are probably familiar with the story of Jonah, how God called Jonah to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. This was the wickedest city on planet Earth. I don't know, Las Vegas, uh, you know, on steroids or something, you know. And, uh, and Jonah said, I don't want to go. And so he went the other way. You know, God then, you know, swallowed him up with a great fish that he had prepared. He, brought, he vomited him back on the, on, the, on, on the land. And Jonah didn't preach an eloquent sermon. He just went to Nineveh and he said, 40 days of this city's history, it's toast. It's going to be done. God's going to judge you guys. 
I mean, that's all he said. And it was like God's verdict. But there was a radical revival. There was a radical repentance from the top all the way to the bottom. They just sackcloth and ashes. They fasted. And so God turned from judging them. And, and, and if that's us, whatever it is in your life, whatever it is in my life, Whatever it is, if God's saying that that needs to change, you need to change. And, you know, and the judgment might already be on the way, man. It might already be, you know, issued and it, boom, it's gone. And we're talking things are happening already. But but God might still rescue you if there's a radical repentance. That's what we're seeing right here. Notice again, he's he's warning them. He says in verse eight, look again at verse eight. Listen to this warning. Listen, or I will turn you into a heap of ruins. You know, I just pray. Uh, you listen, you guys, I know we can't be perfect. I understand that. But, you know, when, when God wants to chisel away at something, when God wants to change something, when we're in a relationship that we know is not of the Lord, you know, when you're you know getting drunk or getting high or looking at things on your phone or whatever it might be, you're treating someone wrong, I mean, there, there's this, you know, and you've been doing it for a long time, so you think it's, it's no big deal. That's just who I am. And, the, and, and yet the Holy Spirit is saying, no, that's not who I want you to be anymore. If that's what he's saying, then why, why would we, you know, hesitate? If God says jump, what do we say? How high? We don't question that's God. That's the God of the universe telling you to pray. And you can't. You don't. Read your Bible. I mean, you name it. There's so many things. My prayer is that we would listen. This is, look at verse 9. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Even the few who remain in Israel will be picked over again as when a harvester checks each vine a second time to pick the grapes that were missed. And so um, you guys probably know the way it was in Israel. They had the, the, the guys come and they would you know, harvest the grapes, but they didn't get every single one because if they went under every single leaf and if they tried to get the corners of the fields, it would take too long. And the Lord commanded them, you know, leave that for the poor people. They'll come back afterwards and they'll glean, right? We read that in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. And what God is saying is that that's what's going to happen to Israel. I mean, there's going to be this first sweep and then the second sweep and then third sweep. Imagine how, how difficult that would be. The Babylonians besieged them three times. The first time they took Daniel in 605 BC. The second time they took Ezekiel in 597 and the third time they took the temple in 586 and it was just let the few people were left in the land and i've been a christian now for 30 some years i i've seen people like that they used to love god they used to serve god and now they're nowhere to be found and now they're dead because they didn't take god seriously so for us, for me, you guys, this is a great opportunity, you know, to, to be able to be warned. I mean, we warnings are good. Don't you guys think warnings are good? Hey, you know, don't eat that, you know, rotten, whatever it is, you know, your 
mom tells you not to eat that. Don't touch the fire. We went to the Grand Canyon. Don't get too close to the edge, you know? I mean, stuff like that. Warnings are good. This is a spiritual warning for us. Look at verse 10. To whom can I give a warning? You know, Jeremiah is asking, who will listen when I speak? Their ears are closed and they cannot hear. Oh, man, that is a terrible place to be. You know, they can't hear. They scorn the word of the Lord. They don't want to listen at all. So now I am filled with the Lord's fury. Yes, I am, I am tired of, of holding it in. I will pour out my fury, check this out, on children playing in the streets and on gatherings of young men, on husbands and wives, and on those who are old and, and gray. Their homes will be turned over to their enemies, as will their fields and their wives. For I will raise my powerful fist against the people of this land, says the Lord. You know, and you read this right here, and just in case you're shocked, by what you're reading, maybe in one sense it's good, you're kind of supposed to be. This is intended to strike terror in our hearts. I mean, after all, when you think about it, you got these dads who are going over there, you know, and I, and I think, oh man, so many people having affairs nowadays, you know, this whatever, this person on ABC, and they were great, and this guy and gal, and they just up and leave their family, leave their kids to be with one another, and they're so happy now. They're so happy now, right? And, and what are they doing to those kids? I mean, guys, men, adults living in sin, what does it do to their children? You got these children that are playing in the streets. What happened? Mom and dad, why didn't you take us to church? Why didn't you get right with God? This is what happens. You see, when you're looking at this, I mean, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. You know, the young men, the wives, the elderly. When you read the book of Lamentations, which is after the fact, Jeremiah's lamenting over what happened to Judah and Jerusalem. He talked about the way that the soldiers ravished the women. Why is that? Why did that happen? Because the people would not get right with God. You know, the world needs to see who God really is. Because uh, I don't think the world really has a, a proper understanding of who God is. I mean, we make up our own God. Well, he's got to be nice like, you know, me or, you know, whatever. He's, we would never do that. But you're not God. You know, I like this passage in Exodus 34. I think we have it. I want to show it to you guys. It says, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And I think a lot of people, that's kind of the way they see God. He's so gracious and long-suffering, compassionate and forgiving. And he would never, ever spank me or hurt me or discipline me or do anything like judge the world. The, the people out there, they think we're crazy that we would actually say, hey, you got to get ready for this global warning because Christ is coming and he sees all that's going on. That's the first part. That's Yeah, that's a part of who God is. He's compassionate, loving, forgiving, gracious man, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, Romans 5.20. But then notice also what he says. 
He says, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And that doesn't mean that the children pay for the sins of the parents in that, you know, in that they, you know, well, we didn't do it. It just means that that's the ramifications. If mom and dad are not serving God, how is that going to affect your kids? That's what that's talking about. And God says, I do not excuse the guilty. That was Moses when he was asking God to reveal himself to him. This is what God said. This is who I am. I'm the, I'm the lamb who died for your sins on the cross, but I'm also the lion. And I'm coming again. And that's why for us, we have to have healthy balance between the love of God and the fear of God. Jeremiah here reading this is so cool to see. You know, a lot of times people think, well, God would never judge. Um, really? I mean, he already has if you look at the flood and, and he actually will. You know, I think about the world that we live in and I just wish I could sit down with some of these politicians in, in Sacramento who have no concept of the consequences of sin. Like, what is sin? Sin is violating God's law. That's what you're doing. Washington, D.C., they can't see because they're not only closing their eyes, but they're closing their hearts to God. And you've got leaders and legislators and teachers and governors and mainstream media, most of the movie industry, our president, along with many politicians who don't give a sliver of a thought as to what God might say about the sins that they're legalizing and not just passion, passing, but pushing and parading. And they're not just tolerating, they're celebrating these sins. You know, and, and here we are as a church and we're like, hey, I love you and I need to warn you. That that's sin, that marriage is between a, a man and a woman, a woman. So for us, I mean, we know you're born a boy, then raise them as a, as a boy. She's a girl, you raise her as a girl. But now they're actually passing legislation where they can take your child away from you. Because if that child says, no, you know, that little boy, I'm a girl. And you're like, no, I'm a parent. I'm you know, going to raise them what they were biologically, you know, created by God as and the, the state says, no, I'm going to take them away from you, mom and dad. And I'm not just going to take them away from you. I'm going to make them the other gender. That's the world. That's the legislation of this day. We love you. We love everybody. But we have to understand that this is sin. You know, for us, they'll demonize you if you disagree with them. They'll call you haters even though we're actually lovers? They'll, they'll say, well, it's because you're afraid. No, it's not because I'm afraid. It's because of my faith. You know, if only Biden would read the book of Jeremiah, if only Newsom really knew some of the Bible, you know, maybe our world would be different. Jeremiah reminds us of the inevitable, the day of reckoning will come. Until then, tragically, Jeremiah identifies them. Notice in verse 10, if you would look there again, he had identified them as scorners. Now, scorners, that's a bad place to be. Um, if you guys read your Proverbs, there's three individuals that stand out. There's the naive. So the simple are the naive. 
The fools are the deceived, but the scorner won't receive. And that's where these guys were. And notice again, as we look at this, the NLT says they close their ears. They, they cannot hear. But the New King James, it says that they had uncircumcised ears. Now, you guys know what circumcision is, right? Circumcision is the cutting away of the flesh. And this is the only time in the Old Testament where they speak of uncircumcised ears. Uh, frequently, you'll read in the Old Testament of uncircumcised lips. You'll f- read frequently in the Old Testament of uncircumcised heart. But only here do you read of uncircumcised ears. They, they couldn't hear because there was too much flesh, too much godness, too much sin. They could not hear the voice of God. And that's where a lot of people are today. Even in the church, you know, they, they, can, they can't hear very good because there's too much flesh. And it reminds me, there's only one other time that this is found in the Bible. It's in the book of Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was uh, preaching to the religious leaders and he called them. He says, Are you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears? You always resist the Holy Spirit. And so this is where these guys were. Let that not be us, you guys. I mean, today when I was praying, I was spending time with the Lord, and I was like, Lord, speak to me. Lord, I, I want to hear your voice. I don't know if you guys ever pray that. Do you guys ever pray that? Like, Lord, speak to me audibly. Do you guys ever pray that prayer? Man, and I don't know if God will ever answer that one, but I do know as I was there and I was praying, God, speak to me audibly. These are situations. This is things that I really want to hear your voice. I sense the Lord say to me, listen, Manny, if you will continue to pray and don't just give me five minutes, but if you continue to pray, you wait on me, you will hear my voice. And so we have to have that understanding These guys were so lost. And, you know, what is it that usually drives most leaders, most people, for that matter, nowadays? It's money, huh? Look at verse 13. It says, From the least to the greatest, their lives are ruled by greed. From prophets to priests, they're all frauds. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. And this word, you know, greed, or the New King James uses the word covetousness. I mean, it's so sad to see, but unfortunately so many are caught up in this almighty dollar. They're actually ruled by their greed. You know, money is what guides them in life, not Jesus. You know, Jeremiah specifically mentions that the religious leaders were guilty of greed And what happened was that the prophets and priests, more than likely, they modified the message. You know, let's just say you have someone come in your church and you know they're giving you a lot of money and you don't want to upset them. You don't want them to, you know, come and not give, you know, bank to the church. And so you modify the message, you mellow it. Oh, 
don't worry. Judgment is not coming. That guy Jeremiah, his cheese slid off his cracker. He does not know what he's talking about. Just relax, relax. Everything's good. And there's the agape box right there. <laughs> you can throw a little bit in it, you know, because these prophets and these priests, they were prophets for profit. They were just interested in money. Be careful because Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. Because some people, all their decisions are based on the, the way that, you know, the American dream and success of their definitions of success. Be really, really careful of that. You know, that, if you look at this, um, in Jeremiah 23, 17 through 22, it also talks about these guys who were offering superficial treatments. They made the people feel good for a little bit, kind of like a painkiller, but it didn't really heal them. It would have been better for them to say, oh, no, you know, whether, oh, mijo, everything's okay. It'd be better for them to say, you know what, you're in big trouble than for what they're saying. Were they ashamed? Look at verse 15. Are they ashamed of their discussion acts? Discuss Not at all. They don't even know how to blush. Therefore, they will lie among the slaughtered. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. They didn't even have the capacity to blush. Um, any of you guys blush? Any of you guys have blush on? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Feelings of embarrassment, right? I mean, it's the way that the body is wired. When you're, you know, you're embarrassed, your blood vessels actually open up a little more, and so you can see the redness. And so it's just the way that they're wired, the function. These guys were so messed up, they couldn't even... Then they go through their sin. Oh, let me tell you, there is no embarrassment, no shame. They're proud of it. You know, they're arrogant in their actions. And yet God still reaching out to them. Look at verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your soul. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. I mean, the Lord is just saying, I like what I think it was Corey Ten Boone said. She said, God dictates our steps and our stops. And so sometimes it's good just to stop and kind of look at the crossroads, like, where am I? You know, what, what do I need to do different here? Which way do I need to go? And God is saying, hey, you know, I know you're a progressive or whatever. I know you're all into that, but maybe you'd benefit by looking at the scriptures, looking at how God worked in the life of Moses or God looked, worked in the life of David. You know, go back to the godly ways. But them, unfortunately, they actually said no. You know, be careful, you guys, when people will come to you and they say, oh, you're your church, you know, you guys... Just teach the Bible. I mean, I think we need a little more than that. And, and you know, I know you guys are all about Jesus, but, you know, you know, I kind of come into the, whatever, the 22nd century, and, uh, and, and, and what you need to tell them is, no, Christ is sufficient. And not that I won't do things different. Like, we got drums. Um, you know, that's okay to have drums. There was a time when it was just organs, and now you got drums, now you got guitars. You know, there are certain things where we can change. Methods are many. But principles are few. Methods always change, but principles never do. 
We're living in a world now. Have you guys ever heard of, have you guys heard what's called the progressive church? Progressives. And so what they're doing is basically they're taking the church and they're letting the culture dictate what's going on in the church. And we have to be careful. That's why, like Henry was saying earlier, when you know your doctrine, when you know your Bible, then you won't be fooled. When you know the genuine, when you know the genuine, the moment the counterfeit comes in, You'll be able to spot it right away. You know, go go back to the old paths. You know, go back to the you know old-fashioned Acts chapter two, verse forty-two. The Word of God, prayer, fellowship, communion, stuff like that. You don't need something new because a lot of times, you know, people, well, I don't want to go. I've heard that before. Listen, if it's new, it ain't true. I mean, this has been around for a long time. This is true. Be careful, you guys. Remember three things. Number one, God doesn't change. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. So God's not going to change. Number two, God's gospel doesn't change. We read that in the book of Jude, uh, verse 3. The faith has been delivered once for all. And then thirdly, God's word should never be changed. In the book of Revelation, we have that warning in chapter 22, 18 through 19. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. We have the 66 books of the Bible making up the the Bible. That's sufficient for us. But unfortunately, even though God was telling them, hey, get back to what's right, you know, isn't it a trip, you guys, how we have the capacity to say no to God? How many of you parents here, I'm just curious, you would never let your kids say no to you? Like, what are you talking about, man? There's the door. You got the front door and the back door. Those are the two options, man. You got to do what I tell you to do. God is, you know, he, he gives us that freedom. They said no. It's so sad to see what happens to Israel. Look at verse 17. I posted watchmen over you who said, listen for the sound of the alarm. But you replied, no, we won't pay attention. Therefore, listen to this, all you nations. Take note of my people's situations. Now, God is telling the whole world to to, to watch what happens to Israel. Listen, all the earth. I will bring disaster on my people. It is the fruit of their own schemes. Because they refuse to listen to me, they have rejected my word. Now, now there's no doubt about it that they had the Old Testament. They had, you know, the Bible up to a certain point. They had the Pentateuch for sure, right? But, but also it was the word of God from the lips of Jeremiah. And they refused to listen. And this is why I encourage you. You guys are, 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 are just, you're blessed. You came to church in the middle of the week. I mean, that is such an awesome uh, thing to think about nowadays. But, but I, I, you know, my prayer is that you walk away and, and you're blessed in this simple uh, suggestion. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. If he's telling you to stop doing something or to start doing something, if there's a little tweak he wants to do in your conversation and your thoughts or your schedule, whatever it is, I believe God's a personal God and he will tell us stuff. And so right here, he's just saying these people, they won't listen to my word. 
And sometimes we're like, well, you know, I mean, yeah, the Bible, but also the Holy Spirit. Are, you, are we listening to that word? But, but notice what it says right here. Again, in, in, in verse 19, listen all the earth, I will bring disaster to my people. It is the fruit of their own schemes. Because they refuse to listen to me, they have rejected my word. Now, it's the Holy Spirit, but of course we know it, it is the Bible. And something I just thought that is, I heard someone say, you can usually determine where a believer is spiritually based on their attitude towards the Bible. If they, they, lo- they long to learn it and live it, then they're probably healthy Christians. But if they don't have an interest in the Bible, they're not. They don't want to learn it and they don't want to live it. So you can kind of tell where they are if they have a hunger for the word. This is where they were. They have rejected my word. Verse 20, there's no use, there's no use offering, God says, me sweet frankincense from Sheba. That was expensive, right? Keep, keep your fragrant calamus imported from distant lands. They thought they could impress God. I will not accept your burnt offerings. Your sacrifices have no pleasing aroma for me. And like we read earlier, these were prophets, these were priests, these were religious people. They were going to the temple. They were offering the sacrifices, offering burning incense. And God was just saying, all that's futile. You know, um, if an individual does not want to repent of their sins, Psalm 66 verse 18 says, if you harbor iniquity, he's not going to hear your prayers. You know, and again, I'm not saying that we're, we're perfect. But if you're living in insistent, consistent, resistant, persistent sin, then God says, I won't hear your prayers. So, you know, you're offering up the incense and they're eloquent and they're wonderful prayers and people are impressed. They're like, whoa, that was a cool prayer. You know, God's like, I didn't hear it. That, that meant that did nothing for me. The sacrifices, Lord, do you know how much I serve you? You know, I'm the pastor or whatever, and I preach all these sermons, and, you know, you give, you know, whatever, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars to the church, and God said, it doesn't mean anything to me, because you're not living the life. That's what Jeremiah is teaching us. And so, you know, the Lord told Saul the same thing. The Lord is more interested in obedience than he is in sacrifice. So, God, help us to hear this. They... You know, Jeremiah, I mean, there there were people warning them, like Jeremiah, Baruch, um, Ezekiel. There were probably other contemporaries, but, but they just thought that judgment was an exaggeration. It was a figment of these guys' imagination. But the whole world would see what would happen to Jerusalem. Again, he's always giving reasons as he's going through here. Why were they judged? And right here in the NLT, it says it's the fruit. Notice right there in verse 19, it is the fruit of their own schemes. The New King James uses the word thoughts. And basically what that refers to is a way that they actually planned out their sins. They thought it through and they followed through. And that's what happens, huh? I mean, I don't know. There's probably a lot of different things we can think of. But, you know, 
it makes you wonder, like, whose idea was it to make California a sanctuary state for abortion? Was that Governor Newsom or maybe one of his assistants or his wife? I don't know. But somebody schemed it. Somebody thought it. That's what he's saying right here. You know, whose idea was it to set up labs and throughout the country, and of course you've got Mexico and other countries involved in this, illegally manufacturing fentanyl, leading to literally thousands of overdoses. Fentanyl deaths have actually increased 600%. Who, who's that, who thought that through? You know, and you can speak of the origin, like I wonder who was the one that, you know, made it to where all you got to do is, you know, tap on your phone or click on that mouse and immediately you enter into this porn site. I mean, who was the one that, that, that invented that? Or maybe those torture chambers. Again, you can think of all that, those schemes of evil and God says, that's why I need to punish in a very painful way this nation, these people who are mine. You want to know why? Because it's the only way I can save them and purge them from complete destruction. You know? And when you're looking at this, again, you got people in the church, you got pastors. Isn't it sad when you see on the news this pastor guy? I was reading one article where there's this one pastor stole $18,000 from an elderly couple. And so this elderly couple was attending their church and they befriended uh, this pastor. And before you know it, man, they, they're suffering a little bit from dementia. They're an elderly couple. And so next thing you know, this pastor's got um, their name on documents and, you know, it didn't take long for the uh, authorities to f- discover that they had stolen $18,000. And then I saw on the news, this other pastor and his son stole $18 million from the government. And so it happens. Isn't it sad that it happens in the church? I mean, when you look at this right here, we see it happening. And and so um, things, I believe, then and now are are getting worse. You know, in verse 21, it says, Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will put obstacles in my people's path. That's the Babylonians. Fathers and sons will both fall over them. Neighbors and friends will die together. This is what the Lord says. Look, a great army coming from the north. A great nation is rising against you from far off lands. They are armed with bows and spears. They are cruel and show no mercy. They sound like a roaring sea as they ride forward on on horses. They are coming in battle formation, planning to destroy you, beautiful Jerusalem. And and when you read this right here, I I will say one thing. They can't say they weren't warned. You know, even today, when you read the book of Revelation, chapter 6, all the way through chapter 20, I mean, God's given us there. It's there. It's given to us there in, in black and white. He has warned us of the judgment to come. If you're not living for the Lord, you might get left behind. Don't say you were not warned. As you were. Imagine how horrible it, it was 
when it did eventually happen in 586 BC. Look at verse 24. We have, we have heard reports about the enemy and, and we wring our hands in fright. Pangs of anguish have gripped us like those of a woman in labor. Think about that. Don't go out to the fields. Don't travel on the roads. The enemy's sword is everywhere and it terrorizes us at every turn. Oh, my people, dress yourselves in burlap and sit among the ashes. Mourn and weep bitterly. As for the loss of an only son, for suddenly the destroying armies will be upon you. You know, and I don't know, your heart just breaks when you think of what's ahead for our nation. You know, I was thinking about the platform we have. You know, God gives us a platform. You have an audience of people that, you know, surround you. You've got your family. You've got your, um, you know, your coworkers. Maybe you attend school. Um, and then you've got different platforms where God will open doors. Somehow, some way, we got to get them ready for this. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily you go to your parents' house and you say, turn or burn. You know, you don't have to always do that. Um, but somehow, some way, um, I pray that we would be a witness to them because we know what's ahead. And yeah, if necessary, you know, we have to warn them explicitly, just, you know, clear as day. Less, if you read Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33, the blood will be on your own hands. That's what he says. And so in verse 27, he says, Jeremiah, I have made you a tester of metals that you, check this out, may determine the quality of my people. They are the worst kind of rebel, full of slander. They are as hard as bronze and iron, and they lead others into corruption. The, the bellows, and those were the things that they would blow the air, they would fiercely fan the flames to burn out the corruption, but it does not purify them, for the wickedness remains. God says, I will label them rejected silver, for I, the Lord, am discarding them. And this is how he closes chapter 6. And I just thought it was interesting how Jeremiah was used by God to test them, to reveal them. If, as a matter, if you take a test, you know, a math test, it reveals what you know. It reveals you, right? And so that's what testing is in the Christian life. It reveals you and it refines you. Hopefully you look at that test, you're like, oh man, I scored a C. I want to get an A next time. And so, you know, you get better at it. So Jeremiah was testing them, and, and it's interesting the way that it's all you know put together here, that you may determine the quality of my people. What kind of Christian man is he really? You know, some people they're excellent actors. They're excellent, they're good actors. You know, that's why they're working in Hollywood. Others, people in the church, maybe they should work in Hollywood. Some women are great actresses, right? So we can fool um, all the people some of the time or some of the people all the time, but we can never fool God. So what kind of person is he, is she really? That's what Jeremiah says. So what had happened was when you, when you look at the way that they would purify uh, the, the metals in those days, 
you know, they would put in you know, the lead and it would act as a flux. And so you put in the lead with the silver and you heat it up in the crucible. And what that lead would do is act like a flux and it would take out the impurities from the silver. That's the, the, the way that the, the science of it, that's the way it would work. And so basically what the Lord is saying is I tried it. I tried that, but you would not change. You didn't, you didn't change. You're still the same. And so God says at the end right here, what I had to do was I had to, in the rejection in this case, it didn't mean that they were no longer God's people. It just meant that they would be carried away into captivity, into Babylon. They would lose everything. The discipline upon their life was devastating. And so, you know, for us, you guys, there, there's a warning here. I was wondering if we could just turn to one last passage over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I just want to read it to you. Because remember in the beginning, he says, run, run, run away. <laughs> and here in 2 Corinthians 6, in verse 14, God says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, this is how beautiful. I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now that's beautiful. Hold on to that, you guys, because tonight's message was a heavy message about you know judgment and all that. Like, you're like, Manny, didn't you say anything nice? Yeah, there it is right there. God says, I will live among them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. But he says, therefore, come out from among them, among those unbelievers like that. Separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't even touch their filthy things, God says, and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because we have these promises, dear friends, Paul says, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. See, the fear of God is a good thing. Not just an Old Testament thing, it's a New Testament thing. And if that awakens us, you know, to, to change something that God has wanted us to change, praise the Lord. Let it be. Let's run to do what's right.